loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm self-care. She's been a speaker in the U.S., Canada, and Europe for more than 20 years, and her programs have been licensed in more than 25 countries. She's also the author of multiple self-help titles, including The Extremely Busy Woman's Guide to Self-Care. She hosts Self-Care for Extremely Busy Women podcast, where she interviews leading self-care authorities and coaches those who need better self-care. Her essays have appeared in numerous national publications, most recently in O Magazine. And along with that, I know she's about to launch a podcast called Back to Happy. Welcome, Suzanne. Hi, Cheryl. I'm so very pleased to be here. I, I'm really happy to have you. Of course, we've spent a little time together lately. I was just mm-hmm. on your podcast, which was <laughs> very enjoyable. And I'd like to let, let the listeners know how we met, which is that we're in sister choirs. Yeah, and, that's pretty fun. Yeah, Super yeah. Fun, I'm in Oakland Interfaith Gospel Choir. You're in Oakland Interfaith Community Choir, a great organization, which is despite pandemic continuing. <laughs> It's, rehearsing in like it's, mad. Improbably. I know, con- continuing in our mission in such a different way. Um, and uh, it was so great when you reached out after I did uh, did that, uh, how to stay as well as possible during the era of COVID uh, little workshop. And you reached out to me about how similar what we do is or how intersecting. So um, it's a delight to have you, and and I think, um, especially at this time, you know, I don't always mention the times because my right. podcast lasts forever, but um, <laughs> but I just can't help but mention that um, it's it's roughly a week after George Floyd was murdered, and um, <sighs> and the the overall situation right now is just so so heartbreaking and grievous and so I appreciate in that context of COVID and and all of that and you know intersectional um, uh, issues of justice and um, how this affects all of us I appreciate being able to to talk about self-care in that context actually yes Uh, yeah I think it's important I think it's really important because these it, are times that really call for people to say what's on their mind. And that's a key piece of really good self-care. Oh, I so agree. I, and, you know, I've watched, I've been almost every morning during, during shelter in place. I find, I find some comedy and I find some music. Mm-hmm. Well, I went to my usual comedians and there was nothing funny. No, because it's not a funny time. It's not a funny time. There, and I didn't there expect... There ain't no humor there. No, right. no, uh, no. No, no, no. And I didn't expect humor, yeah. um, uh, uh, you know, but but I'm just used to certain people now are touchstones of kind of comfort, right? Right. right. Uh, or, or at least making sense. 
trying to make sense of it all. And when yes. you think about how long this this oppression has existed, you know, really since, oh, I don't know, I'd go back to the 1650s, really. But 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 honestly, this is uh, this problem should have been solved 140 years ago, you know, in America. I'm talking about specifically. Well, it uh, breaks my heart, and I know it breaks yours. Absolutely, and and uh, of course, maybe we're especially blessed to to be in uh, in a diverse community. Well, and, and and being given the uh, the incredible privilege to keep the black musical history going in gospel music, you know, I mean, and learning so much, learning so much from, I mean, I'm a newcomer to that community less than a year, and I'm meeting all these people who have sung with our director, Terrence Kelly, for, oh, decades, decades and decades, going back to the very beginning of your choir, what is it, 37 years or some very large number? Yes, it's about that. Mm. Uh, I, you know, I'm like a baby in that choir and I've been in it 12 years. Oh, that uh, says so. a lot. That says a lot. Because it's a family. You know, it that's is what a I've, family. Really, I've really noticed. And if anybody wants a feel for what we're talking about, go online and Google the One Voice documentary, which is a fantastic documentary made about the choir, Cheryl's. And Cheryl, you're probably in that, aren't you? That a little bit, yes. But uh, I didn't go on the tour that where a lot of the filming happened because my oh, daughter Europe, was yeah. graduating from, from college. Ah, that yeah. one, go figure. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. Although it must have been, it must have been a hard choice. It, it was a painful choice, but it was clear. <laughs> Right. And and, you know, I think uh, that might that might um, kind of launch us into the self-care part of your work that we want to talk about, Um, because, you know, we both came to the work we do by way of grief. Yeah, I think that actually is relevant that that we that something so stopped life as it was that we had to reconsider how to do things. Would you agree with that? Well, yeah, because because my story is that I didn't find true and meaningful self-care until a, a convergence of crises hit my life in 2012. Uh, I had moved across the country to California and restarted my life two years earlier and come out as a lesbian and developed a new line of work that took off and became hugely successful in a very short period of time. And by 2012, I was burned out and I had to actually close the business. And at the same time, uh, the relationship I was in really, um, it was not a healthy relationship. And the problems became really intense when we moved in together. Um, And I had given up my apartment in San Francisco to move in and uh, that relationship fell apart a few months after we uh, we had uh, moved to this place. So suddenly I had no business, no home, no relationship. And then a month later, my daughter dropped dead from a medically unexplainable cardiac arrest. And she was revived mm. and it left in a coma for six days in the hospital. Oh. And um, the cause of her death will never be known, though she was an epileptic. And in very, very rare cases, sometimes epileptics just sort of collapse from cardiac arrest for no reason. 
And um, what is really important about this is that during that six days, she was on life support and her death, because of the somewhat dramatic but gentle way that she died, her organs were left in excellent condition. So they were donated and Mm. her heart and kidney were received by a young woman just a little older than Teal. And interestingly, you know, Teal wanted to be a healer. That was her life mission. And she was about to start taking classes at San Francisco City College that she thought would put her on the path to becoming a healer. And the young woman who received her heart is now a cardiostenographer who does sonograms of people's hearts. And she began the studies for that work at City College a year or two after she got Teal's heart. So there is this healing path, this very direct healing path. And um, I went through a great healing around her death because I saw that I had really lost my way. I felt I was out of touch with my values. I was really into making the money and working all the time, which is, you know, it was a really toxic uh, combination. And I found myself failing at my life. I was not happy. I was not balanced. And I had no idea how to set limits with myself or anybody else. Mm -hmm. I had no idea how to check in with myself and find out what my needs were. So that first night, you know, I came into the hospital and I saw Teal lying on her bed and she was covered with all kinds of monitors and wraps and machines. You could barely see her in this huge amount of equipment around her. And I just knew what was going to happen. I knew she was going to die. I knew my life would be dramatically changed. And most of all, I knew I had to become a better, healthier, stronger person. And Mm. I had to do it for her. So that's what I set out to do. And I spent the next oh, I'd say uh, three or four years really actively working on changing my life and going deeper and deeper into self-care practices that really put me back together. And um, I wrote this book, The Extremely Busy Woman's Guide to Self-Care, using not only what I'd learned, but her journals left behind, which were an extraordinary documentation of how she had used self-care in her own life. And a lot of it was pretty channeled wisdom that had come to her in meditations. And it was very beautiful and and it continues to have a very big healing impact on not only me, but the people who read this book and, and ultimately listen to the podcast as well. You know, it's interesting because not everybody has a brainstorm like that. You know, (laughs) at that, at that moment you go, everything is different. It's got to be, and I'm on board, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> but, and I'm on but, board was a big piece of it. Like, don't right? resist. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, uh, of course, I've interviewed people who've had that exact experience. Uh, um, a man I interviewed, oh, I'm blanking his name right now, but his his son was murdered, and he had that same kind of intense, uh, almost, I almost want to say heaven-sent message. Yeah. Mm. Uh, he now works with the grandfather of the man who killed his his son. How about uh, that? In in um, cultivating peace, mm. um, and and nonviolence. So you know those those things do happen sometimes, but often there's a whole lot of 
of just being taken to the ground and only that for some period. So you must have been, I would imagine, somewhat ripe. <laughs> well, I was already fresh out of this terrible relationship and moved in in good faith. And then suddenly it was over. And I had, and getting an apartment in San Francisco is you got to have like a magician up your sleeve to make it happen. It's very, very difficult. So I was left in this really wide open free fall. And what was great about it is I knew I had to get out of the relationship. I had to get out of the place we were living. I knew the whole thing was right. So I didn't resist, you know, and that helped. And I remembered being in the hospital that night after I'd had that realization. And the nurse said to me, you know, because the possibility was, of course, Teal would die or she might be in a vegetative state for years because mm. she had suffered uh, brain damage from being in a locked bathroom for 15 to 30 minutes before she was found with no heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And amazingly, she was, her heartbeat was revived and, and then donated to somebody, which is, that alone is incredible. incredible. It is incredible. And it's possible uh, medically with somebody who's young and healthy and she was 22. So, you know, the opportunity of that whole experience was, you know, be better or be bitter. And I chose better, as mm. did your guests you were just talking about. I mean, that's that's a thing you've got to do. But this nurse, she said to me, it must be so difficult for you. And I remember saying, life is change. And I don't know why I felt so sanguine at that moment to say that, but it was very clear to me. You got to go with it. You just have there, to go there with won't, it. There's no way back. No, there's no <laughs> way back. And I want to tell you, Cheryl, my little busy mind always wants to be, you know, working on the next work project, you know, like a good doobie. And uh, I, I kept asking and praying, you know, what's next? What's next? And I just kept getting the same answer for two years straight, just surrender. And so I, I lived very cheaply. I moved in with a friend. I didn't pay rent. I, I just lived extremely marginally for about two years and I didn't work. And I, I existed on my savings. And um, at the end Thank of that goodness time, for your savings. No kidding. No kidding. <laughs> I was really blessed. And uh, at the end of that time, uh, an opportunity came to me. Uh, somebody wanted to pay me to write fiction. I have published both fiction and nonfiction. I've written, published nine books or something. And um, I said, okay. And I just started writing fiction. I hadn't written fiction for 15 years, but I picked it up and I went with it and Gosh, you know, it was like a whole new life was just handed to me and it all is in flow. And I'm still doing that work. You know, I've, I'm on novel number, uh, oh gosh, uh, eight. <laughs> I'm on novel number eight. Well, I'm impressed because I wrote one and uh, everyone says, aren't you going to write another one? Like, I may, I may not. <laughs> no well, pressure. <laughs> the muse, you know, if, if she's really, if she's really like, you know, set up camp in your office. If I meant well to, I it. will, right? <laughs> but yay for you. That's, that's an amazing number of books for sure. So uh, just so I don't skip over, I'm I'm always careful not to skip over the the part of grief that's just terrible. Mm -hmm. I don't know what else I would say, you know. And it it implies to me that two years that you made a lot of space for your grief. Uh, would that be fair to say? Yeah, yeah. 
because what I was learning was a whole new way to live. And I was sometimes, you know, curled in fetal position, just crying all day. And other times I was sort of venturing out and going for walks. I found walking in nature to be extremely healing. And I found this grove of old redwood trees, in fact, called the Grove of Old Trees, up in, um, in north of uh, the Bay Area. Uh, and I would just go there and take a little walks and sit at the base of these trees and just kind of lean on them. And it was very comforting. Mm. There was something about that uh, that was just sort of beyond words. And uh, I needed no stimulation. I actually turned off my cell phone and I didn't turn it on for about a year and a half. And people, I knew people could reach me via email and so forth. Got rid of my smartphone. I just like dialed down the stimulation dramatically. And that was one of the ways I was able to pull myself through this. I was alone, of course, and I was living um, in two different houses, which were pretty benevolent, kind situations. Um, when I moved in, after I moved into my friend Linda's, she, she was working in the business I had been in, which was uh, online marketing. And she, she, I was seeing her work all the time and she was seeing me not work all the time. And we laughed <laughs> What a <about> contrast. <laughs> I know, we laughed about that. We really did. And uh, she ended up doing the same thing I did about a year later and just taking two years off and not working. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just, it was just very restorative. I did a lot of walking in the rain. I did a lot of walking on the beach. I was just kind of, and I drove, you know, that was the other thing that was so interesting about that period of grief, Cheryl. I drove a lot mm. and I do happen to feel very connected to the spirit of my daughter when I drive. And I, and I could feel her around me sometimes sort of whispering in my ear, encouraging me. And, mm. oh, that was such a solace. It was such a solace. I don't know if there are unique reasons why the car was one of those places for you, but I just had a flash in my mind of, of all the very deep conversations I had with my children in the car when they were little, that somehow that was a place where they would share themselves differently. <laughs> I totally uh, experienced that with both my children. I still have a know, son. I, and, and I'll tell you, you know, you'd be driving these like, gnarly teenagers or preteens home from soccer and they'd just say something that would be so revealing about what they were going through because the rest of the time they were behind that closed bedroom door you know <laughs> it was true, yes though. and I mean I th I pondered it a lot when that was going on uh, you know uh, uh, for instance is when my oldest daughter was about four she said because we had explained her birth you know a very nice man helped us to have you because I had yes. another woman. Mm -hmm. And she said, if he was so nice, why didn't he stay? Oh, <laughs> In the car. One of those <laughs> exactly. One of those exactly. Questions. But I but I got to feel like um like maybe it was that we were not looking eye to eye, that there that there wasn't gonna be too much focus on them that yeah. gave them that freedom. I don't know what it is, but uh, it, you know, it immediately flashed when you said the car was a place you could connect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was. <laughs> it was very soothing place to be. Well, also, there's 
in in heavy grief, sometimes it's hard to be still. Mm-hmm. Do you do you feel the car maybe moved for you a little bit? I don't know. I just felt it was the alpha waves I was in under when uh-huh. I was driving because I wasn't in the car. I was driving the car. You know what I'm uh-huh. saying? <laughs> you weren't just I a passenger. Was, like my brain was a little unhooked because I was driving on highways uh, and country uh, roads mostly. Oh, that makes so much sense. It's time for our first break already. And listeners, during the break, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. There's links to pretty much everything I do there. And there's even a link to my novel at the top, um, An Ocean Between Them. And to find Suzanne Falter, you can go to Suzanne Falter, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-F-A-L-T-E-R.com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Suzanne Falter about her work in self-care. And... Uh, Suzanne, one thing that really, really did stand out in your book is is the way in which you emphasized that self-care would actually, um, I don't know, speed up our work, make our work smoother, that we could work less and accomplish more, the great goal. <laughs> well, I know it's, it's, it's completely counterintuitive. But I learned this from a friend of mine who was my action buddy. And every morning we would email each other what our tasks were. And, you know, she'd send me this little list and it would be things like, you know, meet with my client, submit my proposal. And then it would be, you know, start my cleanse, 
go on a hike, journal for an hour. There was all these self-care items on her action list every day. And I had none. I had, you know, work compulsively, work compulsively, and work a little more compulsively. <laughs> <laughs> and furthermore, I had Fashion time. she'd have four or five items and I'd have 15, you know, and uh-huh. I could jam them all into the day. I had no perspective about what was a reasonable amount of work for a person to do. So I had lunch with her one day and we got to know each other a little. And I was thinking, well, this girl, she's, you know, she's probably running some really lightweight little business. Well, her business was like three times bigger than mine. <laughs> I was so humbled. And she said, she said to me, self-care really has made me a much more prosperous person. And she even said, I mean, she was always going off to like retreats and stuff. She said, I usually get my biggest clients when I'm on retreat. And I was like, hmm, so what's that all about? And in fact, when you start to really get your life in order and you remove the stress and the drama and you get your needs met and you have a beautiful environment to work in that's calm and soothing and you have hours that work for you instead of hours that you're pushed to do because they work for somebody else and you have your priorities around getting what you need to be show up in the world as a powerful and strong and calm person, everything falls into place. It just does. It's kind of a law of the universe, but it's a law of the body as well. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things I really make the point about in this book is that our body will tell us what we need if we listen. And that's the big if. There's another thing I was thinking about, though, and I'd really like your thoughts on it, because it's something that uh, I think about quite a bit, which is that um, I feel very privileged to have a life that can accommodate what you're talking about. Right. Uh, I have a, a fair amount of control over my schedule, for instance, and my work demands are things I create, right? So I can uncreate them if it's too much. um, But I'm so aware that that is not the case for everyone. And um, that, you know, if you're an hourly worker, for instance, and if, um, as is true right now, there's uh, essential workers have a huge demand on them and they're afraid to not meet it because they need the paycheck. Right. Um, and I, I've noticed even with my clients who tend to be a little more privileged uh, than that, not all of them, but lots of them, even then they're feeling, you know, with their white collar jobs, I can't say no to anything because, um, you know, it's it's a delicate time. Mm-hmm. I, and I need my job. Right. So right. do you have any thoughts on how to navigate those situations either where um, for, for any reason you don't have very much flexibility and you do have high demand? Mm-hmm. Well, again, you do have to meet your needs even if you can't spend as much time on them as you might like. There's always a corner of the day. You know, I remember um, some fiction research led me to a woman in Las Vegas who was the head of the uh, hotel workers union. And she was 
very, very busy. She was supervising a group of housekeepers in the going through these hotels. She was working as one herself. She was attending meetings. She was organizing meetings. She had two kids at home who were teenagers. I mean, this was a life push to the max for an hourly worker. And um, she made time for herself every morning, getting up early to meditate, to pray, and to have a green smoothie. And that green smoothie, you know, we can, you know, say, well, that's not real self-care, it's just a smoothie. For her, it was very symbolic because it was healthy and made her feel good and it made her body feel like she was really acknowledging it and taking some time to do something for herself. Wasn't a lot of time, but it was what she had. The key was she didn't use that time to uh, rush around and do the laundry, you know, or take care of someone else's needs first, mm. which is what uh, many women are programmed to do. You know, um, I wrote this book, Extremely Busy Woman's Guide, because I wanted other busy women to know that I heard and felt them and I navigated that path. But this applies to men, too. Um, the big thing for women is we always feel we have to make everybody else's needs come before our own, and there never is time for ours. And that's true for hourly workers. It's true for corporate workers. It's true for executives. It's true for all of us. <laughs> and what I would say is there may not be a lot of time. You may feel it's not uh, a safe time to leave your toxic job. Does not mean you cannot make plans that you can't arrange some, uh, you know, what's your long game going to be? Are you going to be out of this job in two years? Are you going to be able to get some additional training to do something better and more prosperous? It's like, what, what would be great in your life? So a little dreaming thrown great. in the mix. A huh? little dreaming thrown in the mix and, <laughs> and a little strategic planning. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm not advocating everybody run out and quit their jobs right now and, uh, sit down and journal for days and years on end, unless you've got the savings to do it and it's the right time to do it. I'm advocating people just begin a practice of going within and tuning into what they need. And it may be you need to make some requests. I have a Facebook group called the Self-Care Group for Extremely Busy Women. And I had a woman in that group post, I had asked the question, what would you do if you had 10 times more courage? And she wrote this great thing, she said, well, I saw this question, so I decided I was going to quit my job. This was maybe six months ago before everything got so difficult. And she said, I went to my boss and I said, I need to quit. And at the end of the conversation, she'd expressed what her problems were with working all the time, et cetera. They had completely renegotiated her deal and she began working part-time for the same money. So she walked away without losing a job, keeping her job, having better a better setups that really worked for her and being able to take care of herself that's self-care right there you know that 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 resonates with something but often people don't do it till they get desperate right, uh, right. my wife for instance was working uh, at a job that she traveled for a couple of years she traveled oh my gosh the majority of the year she was away which is not comfortable for us we like to be in the same town <laughs> and understand. we had a, and we had an almost teenager at the yeah, time. Right. And uh, finally she couldn't take it anymore. And, and she went in to tell them that if they didn't let her work from home, she was, she would have to, to bow out. She had a 
teenager now and she needed to be home. And not only did they let her do that, she did it for the entire rest of the time she worked for that company, but everyone else started doing it. Everyone else had wanted to ask. There was no reason. It was a tech company. There was no reason that that was not happening, except that uh, they hadn't offered and no one had asked. Right. That's and often she- the case, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Sometimes our needs just need to be communicated. Maybe. Sometimes, but it is scary, right? Well, yeah, I'm not saying it's not scary, but when we are in a situation that is continuously uh, a bad fit for us or toxic or annoying or um, stressful, we get sucked into the belief that it can never be better. And it's an illusion. It's actually, I can't remember the name of it right now, but it's a documented syndrome that people fall into in the workplace. And work, I do know from research I've done, that work is the place that worries people the most in their life. And, and I did that research before the pandemic uh, and the, the uh, shift in the U.S. economy. Mm-hmm. There is just so much fear and anxiety around showing up and being appreciated, showing up and thinking your job is solid, showing up and feeling like the people around you have your back. Not always the case. And yet, I think one of the other dilemmas is uh, women in particular have a hard time asking for help or communicating their needs. So the idea would be you would be able to go and particularly for people who are grieving, you might need to go and say, I really am grieving and I need a, you know, a month off or I need a leave of absence or, you know, is there a a grief allowance for, you know, instead of vacation or, you know, what can be worked out here? You know, no joke, because my, uh, my daughter's uh, birth father, he was, he was a donor. He died. She, she had a relationship with him. He died. And I really needed to take some time off. And at the time I had a part-time job at a, at a, get this, a mental health, uh, company uh-huh. that delivered health, uh, mental health care to people. That's important in the story. Mm-hmm. And I went to them and I said, um, I need to take, it was before family leave. Uh, right. was, I, I need to take a month off to be with my daughter. She has, um, she's going to be, she already was planning to go see my parents and alone, but I need to go with her. You know, mm-hmm. I laid out the whole situation and they said, I'm sorry, that won't be possible. And, and so I said, okay, then I'll have to quit. They were so shocked. <laughs> you know, they really thought that they, they were going to be able to strong arm me. And they said, oh, can't we work something out? And I said, no, I already suggested what you could have worked out, but now I don't want to work for you. Wow. <laughs> and that. I left. And, and I'll tell you, it was not a good time to do that financially, but I had to. Mm. Um, I, I couldn't bear to do, to offer service to people when I knew that that was in the backdrop. Yeah. Uh, well, you it, know, that's a very good example of letting your values guide your self-care. That's a really good example, because I think one of the things I discovered in my, you know, sort of self-care reclamation after Teal's death was that I had... I had no idea how to make requests like that. And I didn't even know what my values were. I knew when something felt really right, 
but I couldn't even put my finger on what it was. It took me two or three years to claim my values. Mm. You had claimed your values doing that. I ultimately claimed my values by setting some boundaries with some difficult people in my life. And, and you know, predictably, this was the other thing that was so interesting about that time. Some, several different challenges were put in front of me during that three-year period of grief. And each one of them presented me with the same issue, that I wasn't speaking up for my needs, I wasn't setting limits, and I wasn't walking away when I needed to. So the same problem kept happening again and again. And uh, to this day, I really thank those difficult people because they showed me what my lack of, of self-care was. They showed me where I was really being weak and kind of clueless. And boy, that was really helpful. You know, there's, there's a way in which I want to say uh, we would never choose profound loss in order to grow in the ways that you and I are talking about. At least I wouldn't. Uh, if I had been um, offered that choice, I wouldn't have made the trade, right? Mm. <laughs> but it's true that when you've experienced a profound loss, um, other things like telling someone no do have the capacity to get smaller. Mm. Uh, at least for me, um, you know, if I if I helped my wife die, couldn't I say, no, I don't want to go out to dinner? <laughs> couldn't, you know, <laughs> couldn't I? <laughs> what a great point. Uh, you know, what a great it, point. It, it just it just became a little more manageable for me. And during the time of her illness, too, I couldn't I was spreading myself so thin at the time I quit that job. I was working 50 hours a week. I had right. children, you know, a teenager and a little kid. I, you know, it was a mess, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I had to do that. I was spending no quality time with my person, really. Yeah. I was too exhausted. And, you know, when I was kind of forced out of it, I learned, oh, wait, I don't, uh, that doesn't work. Right. Mm -hmm. So then I had to start saying no to other things. Yeah. Uh, so I, I feel you on that one. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, that's that's where the joy is ultimately. And, you know, I just want to say something about my experience with grief, which was I was having this weird, giddy moments of joy right along with the abject horror and the pain and the deep grief and and you know because the way till died which i had dinner with her in a restaurant and two hours later i get the call from the hospital she's in critical condition i mean it was such a shock that it really took me at least a year to process that she was dead and and apparently that's common for people who've had a sudden traumatic death like that you know i it's time for our second break but i really want to come back to that because if you read my bio mm -hmm. uh at voice america the last line is surprised by frequent moments of joy. <laughs> um, so we have another point of intersection. All right. Uh, and, and I think that's important <laughs> to talk about because people throw out so much of their experience or feel guilty about it or whatever it is. And I think it's just a part of it. It's not depression. Yeah. No. You know, it's all a part of it. So let's come back and talk a little more about that and then talk about your new project a little in the last uh, segment. Sure. 
So listeners, you can go to my website, weatheringgrief.com. You can go to the Good Grief Post page. And to find Suzanne Falter, you can go to S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-F-A-L-T-E-R.com. Back after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent. Inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm here with Suzanne Falter, the author of The Extremely Busy Woman's Guide to Self-Care. And we've been talking about grief and self-care and um, all that category of large category of things. Uh, And before the break, you mentioned having these flashes of joy, uh, which is so familiar to me. I had, of course, a very different uh, path to loss. Uh, which I, which made a big difference in my life, which was a long illness uh, right. that was going to end in death. So they kept telling us, <laughs> but um, endlessly, in fact. endlessly, right? But but it did kind of set the stage there for us yep. to pay a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting to me that although that wasn't your uh, your experience of loss of, of profound life-changing loss. Um, there were still those moments of joy, which, uh, working with clients, I know often people don't share those moments because they feel bad about them. Guilt, guilt. Guilt. Like, why should I be so happy? But here's what my happiness was. It was the weirdest thing. I felt Teal's energy around me And it was so joyful and so jubilant and so brilliant and so happy. It just was happy that it put me in this really awesome place of sort of touching the divine is what it felt like. 
Mm. And it was very transcendent experience. Now, Teal was a very uh, unusual sort of a person. She had very little money. She wasn't interested in stuff. She was a world traveler. And what she really loved was connecting with people all over the world. So she would work as a waitress for six months and make some money. And then she'd go to an airport with cash in her pocket and just pick a place and go with her little backpack and her guitar. And she went all over the world before she was 22 years old. And she would do this because she just wanted to be free and she just wanted to move through the world kind of unencumbered. And there was a lot in her journal about learning to just be, be present, just be. I mean, the, one of the quotes that was all over the journals was be and you know. And I really took mm. that to mean be with whatever you're feeling, be with whatever's going on. And sometimes I would just get these hits of joy. And especially in the immediate you know, month after her death, where it was just like, I'd wake up in the morning and it would hit me, oh my God, she died. And I'd just be like lying there, unable to believe it and weeping. And then these surges of joy would just come out of nowhere. And I would just remember something she'd done, or I'd think about this extraordinary essence that was her way of living. Um, and, and, you know, I want to say one more thing about this joy. I really have experienced this anew in my relationship with the mother of the young woman who got her heart and her kidney. And she and I have talked, we've spent hundreds and hundreds of hours talking about many things, including this interconnectivity that we all share, this, what, what I feel what some might call the unified field of love. That really, uh, so there's a few thoughts I'm having, probably hundreds, but I'll stick to a few. <laughs> <laughs> One is uh, similarly, uh, my wife, my first wife uh, was a very interconnected person. Mm-hmm kind of like you're describing uh you know we'd go to a restaurant and by the end everyone in wanted in in the restaurant wanted to say goodbye to her you know <laughs> that sort of thing and um and I had a similar experience to you where uh she was so present for me for about six weeks for me it was after she died that I actually didn't feel her loss in the same way uh, yeah. I mean, I was crying all the time and doing all the things you do when you're grieving, but I was also aware of her presence. Yeah. Uh, and that's part of what brought joy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I wanted to throw in about that is that is often called shock, which mm-hmm. it, it may be for some piece, people, but I did not feel at all as if I was in shock. I felt as if I was... Um, in a kind of a transcendent place more. Exactly. That's just what I felt. <laughs> so, And I say go with it. I mean, enjoy it, because how many more times in life do you feel transcendent? Not your everyday. Not experience. very many. And here's the thing. For years, I didn't talk about it because I didn't want anyone messing with it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that I felt guilty. I didn't. Uh, I had a lot of practice, you know, before that on just accepting my experience for whatever it was in the 10 years she was sick. But it was more I felt like people would 
call it something else or, you know, until it was completely embedded in me and it wasn't vulnerable to what anyone might say, I, I, I kept it a little close. Yeah. Well, because you start talking about connecting with dead spirits and <laughs> there are people out there who think we're crazy. It and, doesn't and, always go over. And but maybe this is maybe this is part of how the brain processes loss. Who's to say? All I know is it helped, just like you said. Well, and how people interpret that experience. I've, uh, I, for instance, had a, a profound teacher who didn't believe there was anything after this. And yet he was very connected to his wife who died. Right. He just didn't call it that. And you know, making, this he, is making me think of Teal's housemate, uh, the man who found her in the bathroom after she collapsed, um, who, who she'd only met a few months earlier and they were housemates. And one day, shortly before she collapsed, he, um, he and she had a long discussion about whether there was an afterlife, just coincidentally. And he was convinced there wasn't, and she was convinced there was. So after her death, he, he went through some trauma because he was the one who found her and called the medics and so forth. And uh, he went away to recover at a lake house with some friends where he often had found a lot of comfort playing Scrabble. So as he sat down to play his first round of Scrabble on this little getaway he designed about a month after her death, the first four tiles he pulled out and laid out on his tray were T-E-A-L. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and he felt a chill move through his body. And he said, okay, okay, I surrender. There's an afterlife. Well, she was a very determined person. <laughs> I'll say. I love that story, though. because oh, That's he, amazing. Uh, it's really funny. Uh, you know, I want to, before I let you go, I do want to talk about your new project. Um, back to happy because uh, it's of course we keep evolving like right now I'm doing a lot of resiliency training my definition of resiliency which is going forward with all of it right but yeah. um, but uh, you know you're you've done all this self-care work that came out and now this is coming out of that the way that these experiences impact us are for a lifetime Oh they, yeah. They're Amen. long range. Amen. And and it's very I think you're doing back to happy with with uh is it the mother of the person? Yes, I'm doing Teal's back gardens? to happy with Debbie Granger, whose daughter Amara received Teal's heart and her kidney. And Debbie and Amara and I did not meet until five years after the transplant, simply because it took us that long to process our grief, to process her survivor guilt, to process all the things that you process when you go through this process. <laughs> and it is a process. And uh, there <laughs> the we were big on key the, word. There we were on the beach. And um, Amara is a beautiful woman who's got such a lovely, uh, com deeply compassionate, sensitive energy. And um, her mother is joyful and fun and upbeat and highly energetic. And what's really crazy is I met her and I immediately knew that there was something that we were meant to do together. And I've been a speaker and, um, you know, had I, this, this will be my fifth podcast. I've had all kinds of, you know, work um, around me as a writer and, and a podcaster and speaker and so forth. But Debbie 
has been a dental assistant with expanded function all this time. So this was new for her. And, um, you know, the day after we met, Amara made it very clear to me from the beginning of our connection that she really loved the fact that I was out there speaking about it and I was free to tell the story and mention her name and so forth. But she personally didn't want to be on stage and didn't want to tell the story. Uh, she's just not front of the room person. And I completely respect that. Mm -hmm. Debbie, however, had her hand up, like, I'll help you tell this story. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, then we started to talk and we discovered all these things about each other that are very similar and yet very different. She's a real country woman. I'm a city person. She's straight. I'm a lesbian. She's a, she's a more of a conservative, moderate conservative. I'm a liberal. I mean, we found all of these differences, but we have had the most deep connection ever since we met. And we've spent many times crying over the gratitude we have for our friendship and where it's led us. And, and Back to Happy is really like our tribute to Teal and to Amara because Amara is, and, and Debbie, who's one of the most resilient people I've ever met, both of them live their life with intentional joy. And um, just for the record, Debbie, Debbie's daughter was sick for eight years with congestive heart failure and almost died three times between ages 19 and 27. And Debbie's other son almost died in a car accident. And then about a year later, Debbie's house burned to the ground in the Paradise Wildfire. Oh. Um, so she's been through a lot. And she had a similar um, Phoenix experience, huh? She has. We've had, that's the other thing. It's so crazy. We've had these parallel tracks going and um, really feel we were intended to meet and to create something together. So we created this podcast, which is, we're going to be talking about different subjects related to people's happiness, you know, work and relationships and uh, the things we have to do to get along with the people we live with and anxiety and anger. And, and of course, we'll tell our story about how we connected through organ donation and how it is to carry on after hard times and what it takes. And really, it's just like a pep talk. It's a half hour pep talk every week. Which we all can really use right now at a proper, <laughs> at a proper moment, right? Yes, back to not, right. A, not, a, not when you're deep in the feelings, that doesn't seem to work. No, but <laughs> no Back to Happy is going to launch um, in, in the second week of July. And if it, people are curious about it, they can And this learn. is 2020 since this is 2020. people hear this all kinds oh, of yeah. ways. <laughs> you, might hear this, you might hear this later. At, at any rate, hop on over to my website, SuzanneFalter.com and right there on the homepage, you'll see a button, you click it and you get on a, a list and we will inform you when Back to Happy drops. Or you can listen to my other podcast, the Extreme uh, Self-Care for Extremely Busy Women, because we will be sharing more about Back to Happy there. Will you keep doing um, Self-Care for Extremely oh, sure. Busy Women? I love both. I love both. <laughs> and, and Back to great. Happy and Self-Care for Extremely Busy Women are different but similar and feeding the mission. They're really feeding this healing mission that was Teal's and has become mine as we are leaders in light together. Doesn't it really feel good to take something you got from that person and use it in the world? I know that <laughs> that feels fantastic to me. Um, you know, not right away though, <laughs> but eventually I think there's just something so 
precious well, and holy yeah, about that. If I may tell a very short story. Um, you know, we have about oh, 30 seconds, a little okay, bit more. So it would have so to be, really be short. super short. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what I'll say is she left me a letter telling me we were meant to be leaders in light together. Oh, and that letter came along for me after her death. And that is where I take my instructions. Great place to leave for the day. Thanks for being with me. Oh, loved it. Thank it's you. It's been a pleasure. Next week, I'll have Aaliyah Volz to talk about her book, Home Baked, My Mom, Marijuana, and the Stoning of San Francisco. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.